Hello and welcome to another MadAxman.com Army List podcast. This week, myself and the regular team of Dave and Richard follow up our continuing series of matched pairs armies, looking at the historical opponents, the Byzantines and the Bulgars, two of the um, principal protagonists in the Balkans and, and the whole area around Byzantium. Um, and particularly this week, we're looking at how a Bulgar list would be put together to take on Byzantines and how a Nikephorian Byzantine list would be put together to take on the Bulgars. We also, as usual, did a little bit of the history and then finally round things off by talking about what figures you can buy and which ones we recommend and suggest. So sit back and enjoy the podcast. This means war. Well, hello and welcome to another Mad Axman Army List podcast. Um, I'm joined, as always, by Richard and Dave. Hello, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. All, all across northwest London and the home counties here, but, uh, dialing in. So um, this week we're we're looking at an interesting period of history, the um, an interesting region where there was uh, historically there was a lot of history going on, and um, but it's also partly. I guess 50% of this podcast is part of our regular theme of slightly obscure armies. And 50% of it is, is very much one of the, the Rolls-Royce armies. So, so the conflict in history that we're looking at today is between the, the sometime allies, but often foes, the, the Bulgars and the Byzantines um, fighting in the Balkans, allied in the Balkans, bulwark against the Turks or the, the other steppe tribes or, or 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 against the Rus and, and all sorts of different people lots of interesting history here but the Bulgars being a, a list that is often often overlooked um for for different purposes so what we thought we'd do is is look both of these lists cover quite a long period of time as well obviously there are multiple Byzantine lists and um and the Bulgars don't get quite so much love from the list writer unfortunately but but what we decided to do is kind of look at the the sort of the tail end of the the Bulgar list and take one of the Byzantine lists as a potential foe and try and draw up um, three army lists for for three lists for the Bulgars and three lists for the Byzantines and and try and see how many different ways there are of putting these armies together and using them with sort of a nod to to the idea that they might be fighting each other and and doing that but i think as we always do normally it's it's probably best to start with with a bit of the history if we're looking at the nikephorians and and the tail end of the bulgars but but i think the bulgars are a, an interesting group with an an interesting history and um and a number of different empires and and serving a number of different functions in in that region but Dave I, I guess your um you know your studies of Byzantine history um if if we can dredge back in your brain that that long to um to your student days um, obviously only a couple of years as you're now in your mid-20s of course yeah. and uh, <laughs> tell us tell us what you know about um starting with the Bulgars and and their wars against wars against an ally periods with the Byzantines. Well, I guess my, 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 my knowledge is as much as the three of us are a bit of a re rehash of um, Wikipedia because I've done a bit of research back to remind myself after 30 years. So Bulgaria, the Bulgars are a Turkish tribe beginning in the Caucasus, like all the Turkish tribes kind of do in those mountains there. They sort of drift into Europe um, 
as did the Huns, as did the Magyars, as did the various, the Khazars, the other tribes. I think the interesting thing with the Bulgars is they seem to be a bit more of a mishmash of peoples than other ones. Uh, when they arrive into Bulgaria, they incorporate a lot of the more Slavic peoples and things like that into their, <laughs> into their society. And um, <coughs> they gradually become what's known as an empire, in effect. They have two periods of empire. Um, I think they arrive in Europe in the seventh century as a, you know, as a Hun-type horse archer army who were fighting against the Byzantines and gradually set themselves up. It's, it's a period where there seems to be much more of a mosaic of society happening. I think, you know, where, you've, where in the past you've had the Roman Empire, the Sassanid Empire, um, you've now got a much more of a mishmash of principalities, kingdoms. The Russians are starting to appear as a power in, you know, their various princes. So you, you've got an, a period where you've got Russian principalities, kingdoms, then you've got a Bulgar kingdom, then you've got the Byzantines who are much reduced in their area. Then you've got the Fatimids to the south, um, that sort of area. And then within that, you've got smaller, these can be sort of confederations with local warlords, particularly in the Byzantine state. You've gone through a period, which in war games terms is the thematic, where the Byzantines have gone very much on the defensive and um, their military system has become like local dukes, Duck says is in the Roman, and they're in charge of defending their own areas. And that's the same across the whole area to a large extent. You know, the Fatimids work on small warlords who gather together under one state, as do the Byzantines, as do the... So, so I guess that... You know, it's interesting looking at this Bulgar list. It, it starts off with textbook, um, you know, a dozen shooting cavalry. It, you know, it's a horse archer step army when it starts. Um, in fact, even it's got that difference in terrain. Before 680, it's got step as its terrain. From 680, it moves into plain and mountains and forest and, and starts to add more different um, different troops. There's um, you, you start very much as a horse archer army, which is kind of... Um, interesting it gives you different ways of putting it together but but again they do look like from, again from my extensive knowledge of wikipedia um, like a people in transition from moving from being a step tribe to to being a much more i don't know town city feudal quasi feudal principality based thing um and then that brings them into the sphere of influence of of the byzantines over the years um and then sort of towards the very much towards the tail end of it, you, you do get into that era that we're looking at against the, the classic um, Nikephorians, which in all war games rules has always been kind of the Rolls Royce Byzantine list, hasn't it? You know, it's is that just because it's just got more toys or, or you know, what what um, what makes the Nikephorian the one that everybody kind of graduates or, or gravitates, sorry, to? when when you're looking at because it's in some ways it's not wildly different to to the thematic um and then some of the other sort of post post nikephor and byzantine lists have got got some of those elements but then move a bit sort of nighty um i don't know richard do you when you're looking at the the nikephorian list what's what's kind of that magic ingredient that makes that so so appealing to war gamers i think it's the it's the evolution from sort of heavy swordsmen to heavy spearmen to 
mixed heavy spear bow and so it becomes a, uh, a, a much better army for driving off um, mounted enemies. Bulgars, uh, for example. Bulgars yeah. <laughs> and yeah. also various uh, Islamic peoples and so it yeah. becomes perhaps a bit less effective um, at dealing with, with heavy foot but then it picks up the cataphracts as well and or, or later on some knights which just give you some other ability to, to have a go at heavy foot. So it is a bit of a Swiss army knife. You, you know, you can, depending who you're facing, you can make your choices uh, appropriately. Uh, and that's always attractive to war gamers. <laughs> yeah, I guess it is. And those cataphracts in, in that Nikephorian list, it's, you know, cataphracts are a troop type that, that has been and gone for you know the thick end of a thousand years by the time they come back at this um this list in in a lot of places you know other than maybe in parts of you know, china or or, or the step over there the, the tibetans but but then suddenly they pop up back again in the the 900s with the nikephorian list um is that you know are they a troop type that that label of cataphracts has just been stuck on because they're not quite knights or you know, is does do they really function like cataphracts? Do, were they kind of a unique throwback for unique circumstances? Those cataphractoid. Well, my my reading of it is is no that you know that we've got uh, a Roman state that has libraries that stretch back thousands of years, and you know they they were still using cataphracts in the early fifth century, and they decided that the they wanted more punch to take on some of the Arabic heavy infantry in particular. And, and so they, they felt that up armoring them and, and they basically used them as little hammers to break through the enemy line with the tagmatic cavalry then flowing in behind and exploiting. I think they were, they were small units that were brought back in to, to do a principal job to uh, bolster the cavalry particularly and they were an elite unit. I think you remember if in Fog they were half cavalry, half cataphracts and half bow and blah 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 and I think in the old DBM eras they were some sort of weird incredibly nice thing possibly yeah exactly you know okay. rather so, than having lances I think they have maces so they're very much about slamming into the enemy and and bopping them yes <laughs> oh right okay no that so actually they were the theory being or, or the, well maybe the fact being that they were people digging back in the annals and going we used to do these a few hundred years ago yeah let's let's do that again and um and use them in interesting in penny packets so so if you've got actually then if you're fielding the two that you're allowed the proper way to do it is actually to field them separately and um and mix them up with your infantry and um and try and the cavalry historically but uh all right. I think okay. we, we'll be doing them with the infantry, that's for sure. Yeah, we're putting them in with infantry. And and when we're putting these two lists together to to fight against each other, um, it's it's kind of interesting thinking what what those armies can be. Because to my mind, you know, I don't know when designing the list, if I'm designing which we'll look at in a while, the the Bulgarian list, you know, the, the thing I'm most worried about in the in the Nikephorian list is probably those Scutatoi. And how to deal with those those kind of shooting speary infantry blocks? Um, clearly, the the heavy cavalry, the really good quality shooting bow heavy cavalry, are worth worrying about. But but it's just kind of how do you deal with with the scutatoi? And and I guess flipping it flipping it the other way round, 
what um what do the the Nikiforians um worry about in in the Bulgar list or is it when, when you guys were putting those lists together I think if it's a two list competition which we sometimes do I think there's two ways to go with Byzantines and go really heavy on the scutatoi mixed bow units if you you know if you know you're going to be fighting a medium cavalry army then you can put down as many scutatoi as you can and you shoot them off the table but um if you're fighting you know I think you you end up the, the standard Byzantine practice was to have a line of the cavalry doing the functioning fighting and if they found themselves in an issue they would retire behind a line of spearmen bowmen thus giving themselves a break so where it's a sort of step warfare with lots of horse archers chasing each other backwards and forwards across low rolling hills you know if the byzantines found themselves in trouble they retreat behind the spearmen and you know and have a breather uh there's a, we've got a lot of pamphlets on how these armies work. So, yeah, there's a lot of treatises on how these armies work. Um, yeah, yeah. I think that whole um, that whole concept of falling back behind the spearmen, you know, I'm, I'm doing inverted commas here thing on, on the Zoom call, um, is an interesting one because when you, you know, maybe I'm kind of overstating it or overthinking it, but when you say it out loud, there's a concept of, of falling through the ranks or or literally going behind a massive great, you know, battlefield covering line of them. But certainly, Dave, if I think of that game that that we played, I think it's the one that, that I put on YouTube as well. Um, we both had relatively small blocks of, of three or four spearmen um, in our different Byzantine lists. I had a kind of hairy barbarian Byzantine list and you had a, a more fiddly about Byzantine list. But both of us had blocks of heavy infantry that, that got pushed forwards and... And even on on the table, you know, the table's thirty bases wide, and those blocks were three or four bases wide. They did provide a piece of terrain, which actually the cavalry had to flow round and and, and would find it difficult to to kind of march past or or just drive past and ignore. So, I I was actually surprised how well that worked as a as a theory. Um, certainly as, as your guys fell back, my army, I think, was all about charging forward anyway, so it wasn't doing much falling back unless it was... And, and so I think it's interesting, looking at the Bulgar list, where in in the, the sort of 700s, it's probably more mounted bow and medium foot, and then perhaps after contact with the Byzantines, it's evolving to charging horse and heavy spear. So obviously quite a big shift in, in Bulgar doctrine ha happening in the middle of, of the ninth century. Yeah, in response to the Byzantine. So the list sort of designs itself then to take on, or it, well, the, the list evolves because of that actual general pressure. So that what makes this a really interesting mixed pair. They're both lists that are the evolution of, of fighting against each other um or learning from each other they they literally are they have been rubbing up against each other for for hundreds of years before they they get to the point at the end of um end of these lists then okay well look, i think that sounds like a very good point at which to to move on to having a look at some of the lists So here we are with the list. What we're going to do is we're going to run through all three of our Bulgar lists first and um, and then run through the, 
um, the Nikiforum Byzantine. So, so if you're a Byzantinophile, um, we're going to keep you hanging on for a bit, but we'll try not to be too long. I'm sure that's what everybody's excited about, unless there's a lot of people out there with Bulgarian figures that they're desperate to use. So, um, Richard, your Bulgar list here, you've gone 970, which is kind of that that late late-ish um, tail end of the um, the Bulgar period when they turn into to heavier foot and charging cavalry. You've got an initiative of two. Um, I think the army only has a, a general count of three. So getting much higher than two, I suppose you can get up to three if you really work it. Um, but this is in the plain mountain and forest period for, for terrain. And um, you've gone 26, which which is going big. Um, and with a seven, a six and, and a 13, the 13 obviously being the, the CNC and being brilliant, um, <laughs> needs that to command 13. You've got an include, included ordinary, obviously one of your textbook unreliable, and an included competent as well. So, so run us through um, what these three commands are and where you'd put them and, and what you'd do with them. So I had a quick look on Wikipedia and found some historical names and thought I would set it in just before the twilight of the Bulgar period begins. So we start off with Emperor Samuel, who was... Uh, in charge about that period and I've given him five heavy spearmen and four bowmen so they can advance against the Byzantines hopefully I'd find a bit of brush or, or a field to have the bowmen in uh, probably on one edge but the idea is that the bowmen are there together with the light infantry bow the two of those in front of the spearmen so that if they end up against Byzantine mounted they can force them to retire. And if they I, I end up in front of Byzantine uh, mixed, the bowmen can hopefully shoot them up from rough while the spearmen go in and deal with them frontally. And then just a couple of horse archers, a medium and a light um, to, to you know, clear up and stop anybody nibbling around the flanks. With the medium perhaps having the idea that if the opportunity arose, they can pop out on somebody's flank. Yeah, uh, that with that sort of five spearmen and, and four bowmen. That's you know that's that's twice as many as Dave's legal um, maximum and minimum. Um, <laughs> there. But but that's suddenly a a nine wide sort of quasi scutato, isn't it? Really, but but it's actually exactly. those five spearmen can can punch in and um, and take down the scutato. So so were you were you specifically then thinking I'm fighting? that sort of Byzantine army and this is how I, I evolve it? Or is there a nod yes. to this would work um, in, you know, in period um, as well in a sort of slightly broader competition, but obviously in, in date period? I, I think I think it I think it's actually a good pre-1000 list. You know, I think against anybody except knights or mass, I mean, even against elephants, a lot of the cavalry would dismount as armoured, um, impetuous swordsmen. So I actually rather like this list. It, it's okay. large. It's got quite a lot of capabilities. It's got reasonable command. Uh, it's got an unreliable Prince Boris, which uh, yeah. seemed uh, highly appropriate. That seems good. Yeah. Um, so yeah, run, run us into these um, these next two commands then, because they're they're broadly similar, but um, but pretty punchy. So yeah, you've got a seven and a six there. I've got a seven and a six. So the smaller one is is under uh, is under Boris. That is. Um, one elite impetuous heavy, heavy cavalry uh, with the general included, two other heavy impetuous, two medium and, and a light bow, 
depending on the situation, uh, could be in the middle or could be on a flank, really depends how the terrain drops out as to, you know, I would think, well, where do I want command three, which has the foot in it, and then the other two go where they can best support. Um, the hope would be that that's basically just charging at uh, the Byzantine mounted and trying to drive them off. But it's with the light bow, a horse bow, if, if you're facing the at the Byzantine Scutato, you leave the light cavalry bow behind to slow them down while everybody else just rides out of the way of the shooting. Mm. Uh, Command one then slightly larger. This is uh, again an included um, elite general, but two other elites, three other mediums, um, and again, a light cavalry bow. I've included the general again, uh, just, and again, I think there's enough punch of these you're hoping that in most times you're going to be up against, say, four of the double-armed Byzantines. And so while the medium cavalry impetuous aren't that great, if they're just providing an overlap, they're absolutely fine. And I'm hoping that, that having, you know, six or five heavy cavalry, um, one of them can be made to manoeuvre a little bit out to the flank before contact. That'll all depend on the initial on the pit dice when uh, when the thing comes but as it's i think it's large it's got quite a lot of armor quite a lot of elite uh some reasonable cohesion um it'd probably be quite hard to to play on occasions if you roll too many ones on command command rolls but that's true of most of these armies <laughs> that's the joy and actually with with seven and six in those charging cavalry commands with um, as you say six charging cavalry and five charging cavalry in it those um which is quite unusual and this is quite unusual for some of the ways we put these together um both of those are big enough to work on their own flank and stick the um the infantry down the middle yes or that um all that infantry command could also sit on a flank with terrain you know with the spearman butting up against the terrain the bowman going into it and a couple of horse precisely and then you're putting nine i uh, know 11 um charging cavalry together which which I'm a big fan of as a as a concept. I think that that works. Dave, what what are you looking at? Do you what do you see in this one? Well, I think you stole the words out of my mouth there because I'm looking at thinking eleven impetuous cavalry is one hell of a strike force. And you know you've got things you've got troops you can sacrifice. You know if the mediums go down, it's not going to threaten the whole army. Um, I think it's it's that's really powerful. I would still worry about the flanks of those two divisions of the army because being pulled around um particularly by, by byzantine troops it's it, you know that's that's the name of this game when you're playing bulgars against byzantines is can the byzantines do their maneuvering do their tactical stuff and slow that charge down but that's going to be very very difficult with that many charging cavalry um do, do you think there's um you know on on that um question of defending the flanks and people maneuvering around it you know, eleven charging cavalry is is lovely and wonderful and all the rest of it. But is there a an argument for for swapping out of of each of those two commands? Um, maybe one of the medium cavalry impetuous and, and swapping it in with a medium cavalry bowman, just what? so you've got something that's a bit more controllable. You know, it, it, it would cost you four points. You'd lose a light infantry bow maybe or something. But would that be worth doing? But you'd lose two two charging cavalry, but you'd suddenly get an extra group that maybe you couldn't command and control. I don't know. I the think. reason I didn't do that 
is because I've included the generals. And that's why I've yeah. put the medium cavalry bow with the C and C, because in an ideal table, one flank is pretty empty and, and you've got the you've got all, all the mounted commands there and they drift towards the edge of the table and the heavy in, infantry move up protecting the flank. And then you've that's why the horse archers are in that large command, just to provide some of that cover and support because uh, my experience is if I put extra troops in but I include the general he gets stuck in combat and they just get picked on yes <laughs> that's possible Dave what, so, what do you think I, no, I, you're, I totally agree. you're I mean, an instinctive you're an instinctive fiddler um I think one of the things with Rich has done something sensible in the army with he's had the brilliant general the brilliant general's not trying to control any impetuous troops his job there is to tie down one side of the table, probably, and push it across. And he's got enough bowmen there. If he's got his medium cavalry and the horse, light horse archer supporting the Bulgar foot bowmen, that can really tie down one of the wings. It's, it's a Richard trick. He uses it with his... Um, uh, uh, Palmyrans. <laughs> so you're sitting there thinking, how am I going to root out all this bow fire? And it, it, it can just take up so much time dealing with all that bow fire that you've missed the um, rest of the game. Actually, yeah, that, that's an interesting thing to, to think about as well, because there's always that temptation in ATLG to go, I've got impetuous troops, so what I have to do is give them a competent or a brilliant general to give me the possibility to control them. Um and then you end up, and then I'll give them something else because sometimes I'm not going to spend all those pips. But, but your third command here with the the four archers and the spearmen with the brilliant C and C, um, those those extra pips from the brilliant C and C could be driving two or three bowmen to to work with either of those charging commands. So yep. the, the charging commands have got kind of slightly light on the command and control, but. But your compromise, you know, the fact that you can't hold them back or might not be able to hold them back, the trade-off is it's a 26-strong army with 11 charging cavalry, and you gain that manoeuvrability through through spinning a couple of bowmen off from the other command that that possibly doesn't quite have enough to do with um, with its um, with its pips uh, with its command and control. Well, except that you're probably going to have two infantry groups and a mounted group. So most turns, you're going to need three pips, which is why yep. I've got brilliant. If if the turns where you have a four, you can use the two mounted separately, or as you say, you can break the archers up. Uh, I mean, it you know, like all armies, yeah. it's got its vulnerabilities, but I, I really quite like this uh, mix. It, as Dave says, it's a bit of a me-type army, so... Yeah, no, very interesting. Very interesting. Said, Tim, about including generals. If you've got impetuous cavalry, they are going to charge. There's no point in trying to sit there and go, oh, I'm going to need, I need to be able to control them. Don't work against what they are. Just accept yeah. what they are. Include your generals. Make the general order me. And if they charge off across the table, so be it. You know, you just... No, honestly, I think both, both of you have... Um, played me in tabletop simulator and um and will probably remember that that's a lesson i fully bought into um possibly not through my own choice but just my troops going off and doing it anyway but, but sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't so okay no that's um that's interesting that's the first one done
So look, we're now into our second Bulgarian list. Um, possibly the, the only the second Bulgarian list ever pulled together in history, I suspect. Um, doing three in one podcast is quite remarkable. So Dave, this this one's yours. Um, you've got initiative two of, as well. You've um, you've not quite reached Richard's scaled heights of twenty six units. You've got twenty five, but and but you've also gone for that um, brilliant competent ordinary structure with with a dozen in um, with the brilliant commander and then then a, a six and a seven. But there's a very very different um, structure to this. A very very different mix. So talk us through your your commands. Um, I don't know. Maybe starting with with the big the twelve. Um, whereas Richard had a load of heavy foot, a load of bowmen and, and some extra cavalry to support it. Talk us through your 12 under your brilliant commander. Okay, well, I think, I think like Richard, we've both gone for size, knowing we're fighting Byzantine army, and the Byzantine army is only going to be sort of 20 strong, maybe 22 at max. So numbers are going to be a compelling event in this game, to use something I've been using all week. Um, my difference here is that I've been a little bit more circumspect about my flanks than Richard. Um, I've gone for slightly less impetuous cavalry. I've only gone for I think it's eight rather than Richard's eleven. But what I've what I've done is I've put the commands, the, the you know the pips into a command of a twelve, where I've got four heavy cavalry impetuous, which is going to work with command one, which is all heavy cavalry impetuous. And what I want to do is be able to throw out from that centre command. I'm, you know, I'm going to let the impetuous cavalry do their thing, but the command control from the centre command is going to be working with some horse archers to try and spin out, operate with the bowmen in Richard's similar Palmarin manner, which I've learned from him. But I've got, I've got a few less bowmen, but what I want to do is my two, my two medium horse archer bow and my two light horse archer bow and the two bowmen will operate together to try and hold one wing down whilst... The cavalry probably goes down the centre of the table, okay. and then I'm hoping, you know, I'll have some sort of piece of terrain to pin, you know, to put my, you know, hopefully if I can get a coast in, something like that, or a piece of uh, very difficult terrain to operate the spearmen from. Um, I've given the spearmen a couple of bowmen to try and help. Yeah, so the spearmen are in a separate command for you. They're in a, a command of five spearmen with a couple of screening siloi and a and a competent general. Um, so, but they're not supported by anything else. They, they just sit there, well, anchored against terrain, I guess, or, or ideally a flank. Yeah, there's that, that's one option. The other option is I'm thinking that the Nike Foreign Army has got to have compulsory scutatoi, at least three. And I'm thinking there's, there's going to be a heavy spear fight that's somewhere on the, in the game. Um, so they may well go down the centre of the table. And what I'm hoping is the competent general they've got will give them enough hips to help from the shooting and I've got two light infantry there to help them try and get that so they can go down the center of the table um you know you, and what I think is there and maybe you might from the center command from the brilliant command if you've got the pips you might spin the cat the, the bow arm cavalry out to one side of them what I want to concentrate the heavy the impetuous heavy cavalry as Richard would say yeah. you know and put yeah so so your your um your big command then the 12 um, whereas Richards was spearmen supported by bowmen, um, yeah. which was too wide to manoeuvre in, in one block, um, the opportunity to spin the bowmen off, and then a a sort of very much supporting medium cavalry plus light cavalry sort of tiny unit. You've yeah. got four impetuous mix of mediums and heavies, 
So you've got a punch with that, with the four cavalry. But then your medium cavalry, light cavalry bow block is actually two and two. So that's a proper little command there, isn't it? And, yeah. and supported by the bowman, it, it actually becomes quite quite intimidating for, for anything short of, of proper cavalry um, that it comes about. That, that will bully something on a flank very, very well. Um, and and push something down. So so you're using that in a different way, and then all your spearmen are together, and then your your other your ordinary included general um, sits there with um, what four all four impetuous elite in one go. That's not messing about. And then um, I, they... I want to, they're, 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 that's the that's the tr troops that are going to do the fighting there. You know, if you've got those, I mean, if you're going to have elites, have them as the heavy cavalry, and they they're the ones that are going to do the fighting. We hope. And then you're you're supporting those. You know, the the textbook way is probably the four elite impetuous heavy cavalry and one light horse or two light horse. But you're supporting them with two medium cavalry bow. What is that thinking? They're just better versions of light horse, and they can bully light horse. Are you thinking they go in the line or? No, I, I'm I'm thinking they can either give it. I'm trying to get some flexibility so the spear can go down one flank if necessary or they can go down the center and both my impetuous heavy cap you know if the heavy cap impetuous heavy cavalry have to split onto two wings they've both got some protection on the outside from byzantine cavalry maneuvering around so there may be some sacrifices there and then also you can plug a gap with the medium cavalry if necessary and and um also they can evade if they get into trouble I think, you know, the, the, those medium cavalry may linger behind. If, if, the, if those nobles are going down one flank, they may linger behind as support, or they may be used to... I, I want to protect the wings of the... Uh, the impact yeah. And then they're not going to be driven off. They can choose to stand and fight and die a bit more slowly, whereas Light Horse will just just evaporate, I guess, is the theory. Um, so, Richard, what, what are your thoughts on, on looking at this? You know, it, it looks like a more controlled controllable version of yours but still doing similar-ish sort of things i, I think it's a, I, I like it actually the i like that idea of putting the medium cavalry with the heavy cavalry because you might also be able to uh, advance them um i might have been tempted to give that the competent general and give the spearman the ordinary because i i think the spearmen they're going to mainly stand together and we'll rarely get the opportunity to move more than two, you know, one, one uh, pit forward. No, one I'm, of the I'm worries that, that was my thought as well, very much so. But I, I think that's highly valid. I, I think it's a toss up between the two. Yeah. I'm, I'm, just think, I'm just purely thinking I want to try and make these in this, you know, in, the, in I'm, I'm, I've built two lists to fight an actual specific historical battle, which is where the Bulgar, um, Basil the Bulgar Slayer fought the Bulgarians and, Ended up massacring ten to fifteen thousand Bulgarians, you know, blinding them all in except one in a hundred to lead them home. Allegedly, you know, this is why he got his name, the Bulgar Slayer. So I'm trying to fight that battle. And what I was trying to do there with the competent general was to try and make the heavy spear as bulletproof as possible from the uh, scutartoy and things like that. Right to give them more chance to rally. Well, that that that's valid. But the, the one that worries me a little bit is 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 the large command. Um, only because I think the medium light and footbow group is powerful. I, I just worry that with four impetuous cavalry, you, you may very easily end up in four movement groups. Yes. 
And, and if that's the time when you roll a one, um, there's quite a lot of troops that are, are sort of middle ranking troops rather than first class troops. And so um, that, that's the only, th if, if they were impact cavalry, I wouldn't have any concerns, but I, that would be my only quibble with the army really is, is yeah. Yeah. asking that guy to do a little too much. Yeah, I, I think there's there's that bit that we talked about with yours, Richard. If you're getting impetuous cavalry, they're going to act like impetuous cavalry, and yeah. and in that case, having five of them um, and accepting that one of them is going to trip up and stumble before they do anything um, is probably better than having four of them because something's going to go wrong. Um, so uh, you know, I do love that two medium cavalry bow, two light cavalry bow block. That's very solid. Yes, but if you you know what, what else do you do? Do you do you take out the light foot bow and put in a, an extra medium cavalry impetuous maybe to make that block up to five? Because I'm not sure the light foot bow are doing too much in that. Um, I'm trying to, but I mean, I, I'm thinking those light foot bow can, you know, if there is going to be a, a firefight, an archery fight, the light foot bow gives you the extra plus in shooting. Yeah. So you know, the plus is here or there. And, you know, if you have got the pips and, 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 you, and if you're going to have a med uh, an impetuous cavalry fight, you can try and take some of the shooting off with the light foot bow working with the medium cavalry impetuous. You know, they, may, they may reduce one, one go of shooting. You know, if it's a straightforward down the middle game. I, I think I'm, yeah. I'm trying to give myself some more options, I think. Yeah. No, no, I, okay. I, I think that's it. It's an interesting one. For sure. Okay. All right. Well, let's let's move on and look at the first one. So third book I list here. Then this one's um, this one's mine. I've I've slightly kind of bent the rules a little. This one is um, one with a Pechneg ally, and um, this one's slightly earlier than the Nikephorians. Um, I think it's a uh, 40, 50 years too soon. But I thought in terms of looking at different ways of trying to pull this list together, the Pechenegs give you a very, very different, unusual way of playing it, which which is kind of fun. And, and a lot of what we're trying to do here is is look at some different ways of doing it. So so what I've gone for here, um, 25, um, same as yours, Dave, just short of, of yours, Richard, um, including a fortified camp because this is much more a, a sort of slightly uh, you know leave half the table empty um sort of game and and on the basis that the byzantines anything that gets to my camp is going to be mounted so a fortified camp pretty much nixes that that falling over but what i've done um probably the interesting bit is to start with the Pechenegs. um you have to call him emperor jake really don't you for um jake the Pechneg. and um that's and again, I'm not sure Rolf Harris jokes are really appropriate anymore, but um, but this just allows you to fit in that kind of refuse a flank thing of um, a couple of war wagons just to to plonk down and ignore a third of the table. And even if it does just force the Byzantines to to spend pips on redeploying, it just gives you more of a chance of of rushing them with the rest of the army. But again, with the Pechenegs, they still come with an included general, um, as well as those two war wagons. There's an elite he heavy cavalry bow with an included general who's ordinary. So, so if he dies, it's not that much of an extra points loss. And three 
light horse archers, which I think, Richard, this was a trick I might have picked up from you in one of your previous lists about if the Byzantines just drive away and ignore the flank that you're refusing and, and defending your own flank with, with the two war wagons, three horse archers and a heavy cavalry bow general can actually march around and, and cause some problems and, and pull some troops back that way because you can't ignore it. You know, if, if it was one or two, maybe you could, but three is starting to be a decent number. It's getting overlaps. It's doing decent amounts of shooting between the three. So you've got two commands, really, the stationary war wagons defending your flank and then this heavy cavalry thing that use almost no pips, cost almost no command, um, and but then it, it just forces the enemy to do something. And then you're looking at the 18 units in the other part of the Bulgar army. So, so what I've looked at here is that sort of a mini version of, again, yours, Richard, in the first command, four spearmen and two archers as the these are facing up. And I'm either pushing off cavalry with that or I'm thinking that they can go into the Scutato if, if they're lucky there. Um, I've kind of... Probably undercooked it maybe a smidge with just one skirmishing light tree bow to screen the spearmen, but there are only four of them. Um, and then two heavy cavalry impetuous and a light cavalry bow that that is they're driving um, their impetuous elite. Two elite is still pretty decent. That will, if this sits on on one wing on the edge of the table, that will drive off or take down supported by the archers and the spearmen that's still enough to force its way down a flank i think otherwise though it sits in the middle and works with the the other command which is is five um impetuous cavalry two elite um heavies three mediums so effectively i'm fielding seven impetuous um cavalry in a block more than likely five from this command and two from the the command with the spearmen that will be driven by a competent general and a brilliant general, giving them quite a lot of points. And then a kind of slightly bigger than, than Richard, slightly smaller than Dave's, um, two light horse and one medium cavalry bowman as the second um, manoeuvre function group from that, which what that, um, what that does, because I've got three horse archers, um, four, five and one in the other one, gets me up to six light horse, which boosts the initiative up to three, which I think gives um, you know, a fighting chance of, of taking on the really high initiative Byzantines and, and contesting to see who gets, who wins the initiative. Um, and the difference between three and two is it, it's one <laughs> in the dice roll, but, but that's quite, um, quite material. So it's doing sort of the same things, but on a narrower frontage, and using the the Peshnegs to to create that narrow frontage through through the use of the war wagons, which hopefully would wrong foot the Byzantines and allow those seven um, cavalry impetuous, four of which are elite and heavy, to punch through, supported by a number of the the medium cavalry and light cavalry bow. Whilst the the infantry just kind of grind forward and and hold on to it. So. It, it, with the building blocks of this army and knowing you're fighting Byzantines, there's there is a thread of similarity running through all of these. But but this is using the command and control in a different way, but holding back almost in there's a couple of groups here: one medium cavalry bow, two light cavalry, 
in the the competent generals command the peshneg cavalry um there's enough stuff here that meaningful little groups can can spin out and pull the byzantines wide and the byzantines can't ignore them and and just concentrate on um on on the other bits of the army so so that's kind of my theory with this one um also I've got some war wagons that are kind of nice. I always do like to use them as well. Um, so I don't know what what do you guys um, think, Richard? Your your list was first up. What's what's your thoughts on this one? I think using uh, using a slightly unfamiliar ally is always a good ploy uh, because it immediately tends to throw the opponent off balance because you've introduced an element they're not expecting, and the theory of how you're planning to use it I found thought sounded very sound um, so I, I don't have any issues with it at all really I think the only thing is um, whether or not uh, there's enough impetuous strength to you know you could very easily be facing eight tagmatic cavalry and and if they've shot you up a bit first do you have enough impetuous cavalry to counteract that? Um, would be that would be my only worry for for. But other than that, I, you know, and that would just depend on the day. <laughs> yeah, no, and, and I think that's it. When I was putting together the list, it it was one of the things I was really toying with is you know the difference between a six point light cavalry bowman of which I've got six, and a seven point medium cavalry impetuous is is wafer thin and and this ends up as a 199 point army um anyway so there are six light horse there i think you could always swap if you wanted to to change the um change the mix a little you could always swap in one or two of those um light horse up bow to give you um not not seven but eight or nine um charging cavalry which suddenly starts to make quite a difference yes but it was it was just you know, thinking of this as something that whether the Peshnegs allow you to fight on such a narrow frontage but then have a threat in the the area of the board that you've left behind um as well to give it just a that sort of steppy feel um without it just becoming a I'm going to throw a load of impetuous cavalry at you and hope that they deal with uh, with whatever they're coming at so this yeah. is you know, this is almost about playing giving yourself the opportunity to play with it a bit more um you know maybe there's a degree of that in it um i don't dave what, what's your thoughts on this one um i, I really like it I, I i think i agree with richard i think it lacks a bit of oomph in the impetuous departments i would worry about command two having three medium cavalry impetuous i know you've got two light cavalry to screen them as they come forward i i would probably lose one unit in the army somewhere to try and upgrade those medium cavalry to heavy cavalry maybe and that gives you a bit more strength the thing i really do like about this army is the petroneg ally i think there's some really interesting ways to play with that i think war wagons and particularly war wagon bow is almost is a troop type that people have almost overlooked until recent you know the last year maybe they've started to appear a war wagon bow against cavalry, you know, it's almost bulletproof for a start by its very nature. And it can, two of them can just spin across as like a mobile. And yet they also, you know, so cavalry have got to turn and go away from them in all extensions. And because they kick out the shooting at four UDs, they are a really heavy, tr- really good troop type. 
I think the other thing I find interesting about the Pechineg ally is if you were to put down commands one and two, i.e. the Bulgar cavalry, and put down Pechineg uh, ally last, you could put down the noble and the three horse archers into an ambush and just have two war wagons appear on the table. And yet, you know, if you've got a plantation or something like that, you can then... So what I would probably do is swap the competent commander from command two to the Pechineg. And that gives them a certain amount of ability to operate separately. There's almost, you know, the, the war wagons just do what they do. One pip, go forward, try and shoot at cavalry. And then you've got more pips to operate the Pechineg Noble and Horse Archers as almost a separate command. That's yeah, or, or possibly there's even an argument to make all three of the generals competent. You know, because um, the, the first command, it would be a bit of a risk with heavy spearmen and, and bowmen and, and two impetuous cavalry, but... But I think, as we've said, once the spearmen start getting pinned down or grinding forward, they are only using one pip a turn. So you'd still have all your other pips to to throw those two impetuous heavy cavalry in with the the other ones. And yeah, you know, if you if you're sacrificing on the initiative, you do suddenly have a lot of other options to to give yourself more heavy cavalry or more medium cavalry impetuous and and change that punch on it. But it's it's just you know the eye gets drawn to those pechenegs and and what they do for your your tactical options with with that kind of really interesting um wall wagon bow thing and the the ability it gives you to refuse a flank particularly against a a predominantly mounted maneuvering army like um like the nicophorians so i think on that moment that's probably the time to to move on and start looking at the um the much anticipated nicophorians this means war So look, we're into the Nicophorian stage of the day and uh, of the podcast. The the, the famous um, Swiss Army knife toolkit of um, Nicophorian Byzantine. So, so Richard, let's dive straight into it with your list. And um, just scanning through it, I'm seeing all the famous names there: elite cavalry, heavy cavalry, impact bow. The cataphracts are there. The Varankians in. It's all good stuff. You've got um, you've got initiative two, um, twenty two units, which. It's probably more than than some of these Nicophorian lists manage quite often, in a in a four, a ten, and an eight with um, competent, ordinary, and, and competent. So, so run us through those. Um, you know, which how do they work? What what are they? Um, what are they going to do? And how are they going to take on the the Bulgars? So this is a list that is designed to take on the Bulgars or something like it. So if we start with what would, unless the terrain is very surprising, be in the centre, which is the second command, which has two elite cataphracts, four Varangians, which I've taken as the two-handed weapons, and then screened by two light infantry bow, two light infantry javelin, with an ordinary, unreliable general. So that's taking some chances but by putting it in the middle I'm hoping that it will it'll be hard for the Bulgars not to activate it at some point that command is principally designed that it hopes to be opposite the Bulgar spearmen hence the two-handed weapons to but if they are against impetuous cavalry the cataphracts will just make the Bulgars make it harder for them just to roll over the two-handed axemen 
um, enough light infantry that if there is a bit of terrain that they can run up alongside of, they can they can uh, perhaps join in as overlaps from, from the terrain. Then the first command is an included competent general with one elite, uh, who would be in with the elite heavy cavalry impact bow, two other heavy cavalry impact bow and a light cavalry bow. That's that's so very textbook, isn't it? You know, three very of those, textbook. three of those uh, heavy cavalry, really punchy. The one elite in the middle and the light cavalry bow. That's but it can drive off a lot of people with shooting. It can drive off. It can ambush. It can flank march. Um, and then, but it can also um, evade if needs be to to pull a whole bunch of impetuous uh, cavalry forward so that the cataphracts could hit them in the flank. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> On the other wing, you've got two of the Tagmatic Heavy Cavalry Impact Bow, two Light Cavalry Bow, and four of the Mixed Heavy Spear Bow. The idea being there that the, again, depends a bit on the terrain, but normally the Mixed Spear would be marching alongside uh, either the Cataphracts or the Varangian Axemen and would hope to be able to get into a position to either shoot up the enemy spear while the Varangians wield onto them or be shooting up the impetuous horse, allowing some tactical charges by the tagmatic cavalry. And they've got a competent general. So fairly simple. The worrying thing about it is it's only 22. It's quite tough. Uh, it's sort of reasonable command and control but I've only got two points of command. Um, it could easily come unstuck because, you know, some bad bad command roles, it is kind of relying on that. Although the Cataphracts, Varangians and Scutato give you 10 units, which will just kind of stand there and can absorb quite a lot of punishment. Yeah. Dave, Dave, what's your thoughts on um, on this one? Um, it, it's a very, very unusual way of playing the Byzantines. Cause yeah, my, my thoughts that as well, yeah. It's going to be a bit of a surprise to people finding, oh, where's all the tagmatic heavy cavalry, bow, elite, chargey cavalry? Um, I think it's, it's an in this is a very flexible army list, as we know, as we've been discussing earlier. It's got all the toys in different ways. I think going with a lot of spear is a good way of dealing with the, you know, I, I think, yes, if you're expecting the Bulgars to have the spear, you're outmatching their spear. Brilliant, very clever. And you've also got the scutatoi in a mass you know which are going to outshoot any um horse archers in particular my one concern would be the scutatoi being charged down by impetuous heavy cavalry i think we all sit there and go oh you're you're fighting a minus but you, you tend to throw in your impetuous heavy cavalry or your impact heavy cavalry into a massive spearman at some point yeah. Although I think to be fair though, you know, four is one of those magic numbers with with archery troops that yes. once you get up to four, you are putting out enough shooting that you're gonna damage anything that's coming towards you. You know, two and you got... can be unlu unlucky, three, you're there, but four, whatever's hitting you is damaged. Particularly since next to them are two shooting in cavalry tagmatic cavalry. Yeah, and yeah, maybe yeah. two light horse bow as well. So you've actually got a frontage of eight shooters. Yeah. Would were you um were you tempted to? Because again, I'm trying to think back to one of your other lists, your Hundred Years War list that had a lot more spearmen than um, and, and ducked out on the two handed cutting weapon men. Were you tempted to mix the Varangians with 
with spear and, and two-handed cutters, or because then that gives them, you know, as a block, more resilience. Even I always sort of feel that even one spear makes them feel much harder for cavalry to charge down. But but maybe that's just psychological. No, I mean it's it's tempting, but but as I that's why I said this is if I was doing it as a more open list. I would probably do that. But all I'm facing with the Bulgars is heavy spearmen, in which case I want the axemen, yep. or the best they can throw at me is elite, armoured, impetuous cavalry. Well, at contact, we're one all. Yep. And and after contact, if I... So the odds are 21 out of 36 that I survive, a bit less maybe if they're elite. Uh, but... So greater than 50% chance of surviving. And thereafter, I'm, I'm up and they're probably going to break off at some yeah. point. Uh, meanwhile, I, I think, you know, the rest of my army is doing quite a lot of harm to them. So <laughs> in, in, this, in this situation, no, but more yeah. generally, yes. Yeah, maybe I'm just getting um, over-obsessed with um, that game me and Dave played where my... Um, my English knights or no German allied knights ran over your um, your dismounted Frenchman in, in pretty yeah. short order. Maybe maybe I'm being unfair on them um, on that one. No, but it is very interesting to see a a Byzantine army without um, thousands of tagmatic cavalry filling the table. So you've got as, as you five. I think yeah, there's, there's another really good thing is it's Richard's managed to get a Byzantine army up to twenty two. Yep, which repeats just in itself. Funnily enough, having those cheaper Russian two-handed weapons guys means you get the you bulk out the army, strangely enough. Yeah, and you've got fifty is it frontage of fifteen combat troops, you've got three, five tagmatic, four Varangians, two cataphracts, four scutatoi. So, you know, you're filling half the table with stuff that is problematic for the Bulgars. Um yeah. very much so. Um and and it's gonna be wider than your own. 11 charging cavalry isn't it really <laughs> that's the, that's the thing i guess i guess it's all on the matchup okay well look, let's have a have a look at the next one this means war this means war so the second nikephorian list and dave this is yours and Wonderful. You've got the textbook Nikephorian Initiative of Four. Congratulations. We're back to normal services resumed here, aren't we? And 20 units. So so I, I feel on much more comfortable ground here with, with this one. Um, Basil, the strategist in, in the lead, you've got an 11, a four and a four. So you're going ambush crazy, um, I imagine. So so talk us through your, your Initiative Four um, with, a tw- with a fortified camp, 20 unit um Byzantine list. Run, run us down it from, I guess, from Basil the strategist. What's he got and what's he doing? Okay, so um, with the Scutatoi, I tend to almost treat them as bowmen. They should be spearmen. That's a mistake. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah. what I want to do is I've, give, I've given Basil, the, made him strategist, because I want to use him to... Funnily enough, I think what's going to happen is the strategist is going to be maneuvering my scutatoi around the table, possibly in two groups of two, to support my cavalry shooting. Because they're foot bowmen, they get a plus one against mounties. And then if you add in another cavalry shooting or a light foot shooting with them, 
they're going to drag down any cavalry facing them. I want to use them as an anti-cavalry command. Um, if they do have to sit together as a block, as you mentioned in the last part of the podcast, I've added a Varangian spearman into that group um, to give it a bit more stiffening. Yeah, you, to... you picked that up really quickly, Dave. I'm really impressed. It was only yeah, minutes that's... ago that we were talking that. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's um, good. I'll, you know, the other thing was that is if they do have to fight as an infantry block, I would put the cataphracts with them to stiffen them up again. Hopefully the cataphracts will then penetrate through whilst the scutatoid dies slowly. You know, that will sort of give me some advantages there. So you've got, an, I'm, I'm trying to give myself options. I can have it as an infantry block supported with the cataphracts to give them some toys. I did toy with trying to find some points elsewhere by maybe losing one of the scutatoi and making the Varangian two-handed weapons and things like that. But then I thought, no, I want them to be shooting. This is a shooting army. It's got to do its damage with shooting before it charges home, so to speak. Then um, you've got two wings of uh, tagmatic heavy cavalry, essentially. Um, I've tried to get as many elite tagmatic cavalry into the army. Yeah, for a, for a four-strong four yeah. command, having three elite heavy cavalry impact bow and a light cavalry bow is... That's pretty full fat, isn't it? That's you're committed with that one. That's doing everything it can. And they've got competent generals that should give them enough pips to move quickly if they need to. Doing the classic thing with the Byzantine army of going right. Here's a four-piece uh, group, and if you sort of mount up, you know, if the, if the Bulgarians put mount up all their own Petrus cavalry against that, they turn and scoot. As I said in the blurb at the start, they scoot behind the scutatoi and round the other side of the table to join their other group of four and give themselves an overwhelming... You know, if you can if you can get all the tagmatic cavalry into one block with enough pips to mean that they can split up, pin something while another one splits around the side. Um, and that's why there's a medium cavalry bow in four, just to sort of try and A, save some money to get myself to 20 units in the army, which is a difficulty in itself. Um, but he's, you know, hopefully going to run off somewhere and cause some trouble or just go forward in his own and pin people in the center of the table you know if you that meet in command four you've got a medium cavalry bow and a light cavalry blow and i think this is what we did in the game we put on youtube i put them down the center of the table as an offering whilst getting my tagmatic people into angles if you create angles against impetuous troops then you can split them up and make and get the advantage with your command and control yeah, because my, my um, well, they were Gepids at the time. I think we're chasing your Byzantine yeah. cavalry all over the table and got very much broken up. And I think that's an interesting concept, actually, to say this is an army. You've got two blocks of four cavalry or you know, three cavalry and a light horse that sit on the flanks at deployment, either side of your solid um, four scutatoi, one Varangian, two cataphract, your seven wide, solid sort of pseudo foot block. But you're not planning to leave them operating on either flank. You know, you're you're seeing where the enemy is and you're instantly redeploying one of those two flanks round the back and over to the other side to give you 100%. overwhelming numbers on one side and to let time and space and table soak up a third of the enemy army in, in a lot of ways. Which yeah, that, is a, that, that, that's precisely it. And one other thing I'd also say is, and I know, you know, it's strange to have the strategist with the infantry, is I would look for an opportunity to split up the scutatoi and maybe get just two of them moving with the cavalry commands in support to give them just that extra bit of shooting against the troops they're facing. 
Yeah, no, that's that's a really unusual way of doing it. Um, but but yeah, I think that that maneuvering the, the blocks of four behind is is a very Byzantine thing. But um, it, it's possible given the, the size of the army. Richard, what's your what's your thoughts on this one? Um, I think it would be a lot of fun to play because of the command points and the maneuverability, and it's and you're going to have to do a lot of thinking, but but. Because of its size, really, you know, it's it's you take away the light horse and the light infantry, and you've got fourteen troops, I think, in in the line of battle. Um, most of which, pretty much all of which, shoot. Um, so that's always a good thing. Um, but you know, compared to some of those Bulgar armies we were talking about, where you've maybe got pushing um, twenty line of battle mm. troops, but individually most of them are weaker so it as as um you know as, as Dave and you were describing it's going to be all about delaying and bringing the critical high quality troops to what is it Clausewitz calls it the Schwerpunkt yeah. uh the the critical point um and influencing the battle there and then, it, and then this army will win. Um, but if the enemy can frustrate that plan, it's small enough that if it starts to lose, it will lose quite quickly, be, because it doesn't have a lot of a lot of uh, people to take up the damage. Yeah, I, I, I can see it. Sort of, you're right. It would play. It's almost got the same components as yours, but it would play very differently because this is one that is almost deployment agnostic. Um, yes. Whereas yours. You know, if you get the deployment right against the Bulgars, you're in a, a great place. If you get it um, wrong or the Bulgars wrong foot you, it's a bit harder for you to to sort that out. Whereas this one, is, this one is saying, I'm kind of going to deploy after I've deployed. Um, you yeah. know, I'm going to deploy in the first turn and and just sort it out. You know, it's it's a very, very different way of playing, playing with the army. Um, kind of interesting. And I'm, I'm just, you know, looking at it to think having those fours i guess they can all ambush you've got a strategist that gives you more ambush markers as well and then you went for the fortified camp dave is that a thing because the army is so small um it was a it was a it's actually in a byzantine army it's nice to get something which is six points right. it's just cheap <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i guess that's right isn't there, it? Was, yeah. there was there was some method to the madness because i was thinking okay you could take another light foot or something, light horse, but the light, an extra light horse is not going to give you anything more. I can't seem to remember. Yeah, it doesn't give you anything more in initiative. But I thought if you're fighting against an army of 26, and if they do get around the flanks and go for your camp, at least the camp has got some sort of like ability to withstand you losing four points of your army. But I take it back then, that means you've actually only got 13 in your line of battle. And, well, <laughs> and, and that, that, that really... Yeah, you've got you to know, get that in the right really place, got, haven't you? You've really got to dance. <laughs> yeah, and, and you've so got to dance a lot great, on that one. Yeah, you could be great fun to play because you've got the command points to dance. If you like a dancing army, this is the one for you. Yeah. Are you um are you defending with this day? I would um, be I would tend to think that I might fight in the mountains wherever possible. Hmm. Because in the in the strategist command, I've also got four light foots, including two light foot javelins. So if there's, um, you know, if I can anchor my army and that command on a piece of difficult terrain with the light foot in the terrain, then it's fairly solid there. And then, you know, you can then put, you know, if you've got a piece of, he of difficult terrain, you can then put the, the bow, the scutato in a group with a varangian on the inside of that. And then the cataphract can then 
possibly start to work with the cavalry in a much more yeah I, I think it's a, it is a sort of one of those slightly counterintuitive or it feels counterintuitive until you think it through things that that throwing down a number of small bits of difficult terrain um for a, a mounted redeploying army like this actually sometimes makes it better because an unwieldy army finds it difficult to redeploy round and past difficult terrain it just takes ages whereas this yeah. one little fours can just run into gaps and and use time and space and terrain just to, to buy itself you know two three four moves without um somebody's other force getting getting around to the flank um at all and also, really so. I'm, also I'm, I'm i'm hopefully avoiding having the classical situation of having you know the, the weakness of the knife point Byzantine army is it's got very little good medium infantry at all. And, you know, if you're fighting in mountains, you're then depriving. You, the one thing you don't want with a cavalry shooting army is to have a hill in the middle of the table full of bowmen, which you can't do anything about. You know, if, what, I, what I call a, uh, a bowman roundabout in the centre of the table of a, of, a, of a gentle hill with a field on top of it, which you cannot shift anything out of. You know, that's your nightmare. Yeah, that's your problem, isn't it? Okay. Well, an interesting one. Well, let, let's um, let's move on and look at the third one. This means war. This means war. Look, we're into the final um, lap here, uh, the final Nikephora Byzantine army, and this one's this one's mine. Uh, this one again is is kind of with a big nod to to fighting a bulgar army as well something sort of mounted and, and steppy which is different to to how you might put it forward for a, a a different sort of competition so so i've got the 20 as well <laughs> couldn't quite eke it into that 21 um I, because of all those um you know the high cost points value troops and what i'm trying to do with the army I've not gone too big on the the generals. I've just gone straight down the the list with three competent generals, which only gives me an initiative of two. But you know, whereas I think yours, Dave, was an army of of redeployment and manoeuvre, um, and Richard, yours was kind of a an army of of, of having that sort of centre that that breaks apart. This one is a bit more geared towards fighting um, reasonably on a pretty wide frontage. And um, even though it's only 20, so there's there's very, very few um, support troops in this. That's that's part of where the initiative sort of comes in. So so what I've got here in three roughly even, you know, well, much more even commands than, than some of the other ones. The the CNC's command or nominally the CNC's command is the biggest at eight. So I've gone three of the heavy cavalry impact biotagmatics, all elite, because I think three is just it's a punchy number two always kind of gets overlap, but three, you're causing a lot of trouble for someone. And then I boosted that up with another two ordinary ones. So, and, and then with the light cavalry bow to give them width. So you've got a six wide block of heavy cavalry impact bow, half of them elite, um, with th five of them are the, the heavy cavalry impact bow, three of them are elite. I think that is very, very punchy. And then, also with it, a couple of scooter toy that sort of fits both. Um, it, it does both things that those troops do. It's either two spearmen, okay, they're mediocre in combat, that makes that five tagmatic cavalry seven wide 
which should be bigger than anybody else's charging mounted thing and they're putting out the bow fire so it is that mobile terrain block um pumping out bow fire you're putting seven eight pieces of shooting out of the frontage of that that unit um the next one i i only went with the one cataphract toy um they're such a tempting unit i mean you know, i'm still not sure whether i should have gone for any at all um two more scooter toy who are going to do sort of the same thing they could end up working with on either flank supporting all of the other mounted or they could end up sat in a kind of sort of slightly lightweight version of i think richard your sort of center there so my center is one cataphract toy two scooter toy and two rust frankins who i've taken as spearmen with very much with the I'm fighting mounted thing here. Um, I, I I want to be trying to engage the enemy's mounted and and avoiding possibly their block of spearmen um, here um, and, and pushing out to the wings, which which I think this army can do to an extent, and a couple of light infantry to to screen them. I think some of them are compulsory anyway. Um, so this is really a four wide block of spear people that kicks out some shooting with a cataphract as well, and. And if I do come up against that big block of Bulgar spearmen, I'm just trying to drift away from it and, and possibly leave the cataphractoy and the, the Rust spearmen to play with it if I have to, but I don't really want to play with it. I want to engage their mounted. And then I've kind of gone with the, if you think you're going to be fighting impetuous mounted or impact mounted cavalry, the easy answer is to try and match them with more, um, really. So, so I've taken a Georgian ally which gives me three um, heavy carry impetuous elite nobles. So you add that to the ones in the first command, there's six impact or impetuous heavy cavalry elite in this army. There's the two tagmatics as well. And then another heavy cavalry impetuous in the Georgians to make them up to four. And then that kind of mandatory light cavalry bow for, for support. So, so I'm sort of, you know, if we, if we look at the, um, armies we had they had I think Richard yours was the most with 11 I think Dave you might have had seven um, charging cavalry you know this army can put um, five six seven eight this can put nine down itself against them and support that with two blocks of scooter toy and a couple of spearmen as well so this is sort of a I will take your um, your impetuous charging cavalry army and I'll raise you with the with the scooter toy being able to support it a bit more but i'll i will face you off and, and just engage you quickly when when maybe you know uh, the, your your bulgar army is possibly expecting that more you know that challenge your army gives it dave of of the byzantine squirting out the way this is like yeah i'll i'll take you on with what you've got and and i've got six elite and the cataphract and the scooter toy and suddenly what you think is your strike point is something that I'm absolutely happy to take on really quickly before you've realized that I'm doing that and, and see if I can kind of beat it through, through quality. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit of a getting to the bar early um, version of the Nicophorians. Um, I think I'd be getting the round in and bringing it to your table, Dave, for sure. Uh, and possibly yours as well, Richard, if we were placing this in a competition, but I don't know. What, what do you guys think of it? Richard, what's, what's your thoughts? Your, your list was first up. So I think, again, it's like all, all of the lists are playable. Um, I think against some of the lists we've been been looking at, 
The, the only slight challenge with it possibly is the Georgian ally in that some of the other ones that it would be facing would be perhaps having five or six uh, impetuous cavalry to its four. Equally, if it was facing spear and bow, um, it, it, it might sort of it end would, up yeah, have a very bad falling in bad front time. of the spear and getting shot up. But the rest of it is so strong, you know, uh, kind of, I mean, it's a Byzantine army, so the Allies are totally expendable. I think if you view it as the job of the Georgians is to, is to charge and die slowly while your five tagmatic cavalry really punish whatever they're against and your core two stays in being and provides a threat and hopes to achieve some shooting. Um, it's certainly an army I would hate to face. Um, <laughs> <laughs> with, with any with, with either of mine um I, I i can see it i can see it being a handful okay dave dave what are your thoughts um i like this guitar toy in two separate penny packets so to speak uh, a bit like sherman tanks they just move around their own and i like the way that in uh, group one in command one that you've got scutar toy you can support the cavalry you know so the i think you'd use your pips to get the scutato moving forward across the table and if anybody comes towards to them to try and take them on then you support them with your super you know your much better heavy cavalry that would be my plan there the only the only criticism i'd i'd probably take the competent general out of the georgian command and put him into uh command one possibly i'd make him a brilliant general so then you can really move use the pitch yeah I, I must admit I'm, I'm looking at it here on screen myself and thinking you know is there do you make the that second command the one in charge of the infantry yeah. do you make him um unreliable or, or do you make the so, well, no, actually, do you make him brilliant and yeah. do you make the competent commander in command one into someone who's included? Possibly not. He's got to still move the scutato. But but I think there's definitely an argument for putting a, a brilliant commander in there somewhere and making one of the other two included or unreliable. I, I think, I'm not sure you can put him in with the um, those infantry, but um, but I think possibly competent competent included in the first one and make the second one brilliant so you can drive their scutar toy around a bit more separately to the the spearman and the cataphract but yeah there's there's a little bit of fiddling with command and control possibly that, that brilliant, could be done. In, uh, brilliant into command one and then you've got you know so many pips to you definitely move your scutar toy up on their own actually that is a good point yeah you're, you're right i think when when we started with the bulgars we had that discussion about um, I, think I started the discussion about don't over-egg the commands with a fully impetuous cavalry um, command. You are just going to get them stuck in. So perhaps, Dave, I think I, I could see you're right. Go down to ordinary with the Georgian and make the um, the first command brilliant so that he's he's able to move those fast-moving cavalry and keep the Scutatoi with them. That might be a, a better way of doing it. Quite when possibly. you've got a break of... When you, your army breaks on 20 and your Georgian ally... You know, one of those, if, if, if that general dies, then there's four points of your 20 have just gone. It's, it's I, I don't know, just one thing. Yeah, true. Yeah. No, I think that's, um, I, that's quite a good call. Yeah. And I can see playing it, though, actually being a little tentative with the Georgians yeah. in the first few turns, in that what, what you don't want is them hairing off too early. You are going to commit them, but yes. if they're outmatched, they're going to want to not come forward um 
until everything else is in, until the your infantry are well advanced and then they're going to want to come up hard i think if you bring them forward early they've got more chance of being mobbed before the rest of the army's won for you 100 yeah. percent maybe, maybe it's even a case of taking the cataphractoy out and put sticking another spearman and that buys you a load more points to upgrade some of the generals and command and control because i'm looking at i'm thinking oh, i don't know there's there's different it's nearly there isn't it there's a few little ways you could tweak it and um, the, the nice thing with the cataphractoy is though that if if that foot command ends up against the Bulgar spearman, he makes a heck of a difference where, because it means that the Bulgars are much more reluctant to attack you. Otherwise, they're just going to want to charge you. Yeah, no, I guess so, actually. Yeah, he, he's kind of important there then. Okay, so look, but that's three pretty different ways of of using and, and combining and deploying and, and fielding these Byzantine armies to match up against... Um, against those Bulgar armies. So um, on that point, we will we will roll the music and then come back and talk about some of the figures. This means war. This means war. So that's six lists, six, um, obviously they're different ways because it's two different lists, but but three different ways of fighting the Bulgars and three different ways of fighting the Byzantines as well. Um, how we always round these things off is having a look at how you collect these figures. Now, we, we started with the Bulgar lists. The Bulgars are not, um, I think it's fair to say, top of many 15mm um, manufacturers' lists of of exclusive ranges or, or whatever but but when we started with the history chat we're saying that they are a, a kind of um an evolution of a whole set of different peoples who who all came from step tribes and, and things like that so you know if we look at it as as step tribes then moving into kind of charging balkan quasi east european cavalry there's probably quite a lot of of nice ranges for for things like that. You know, are there are there troops that um, either of you guys have got in your armies that that you go, I'm going to put these on table and say, yep, these are Bulgars and and no one's going to argue with them because they're just nice troops. It, it, interestingly, uh, minifigs actually had a few. Oh right, okay. Um, yeah, they had a whole range of the old WRG Dark Ages um, sort of Asiatic cavalry mm. with big baggy coats and uh, sheepskin hats and some were Avars, some were Pechenegs. I, I can't remember yeah. where anything was specifically Bulgar. So, but you could get, they had a lot of variety. They weren't, whereas some companies, Huns or whatever, all a bit similar. They, they had quite a lot of variety. So I've still got a few of those that I would happily put on the table as Bulgars. Yeah, I, actually, I guess possibly some of... Um, do Essex still have that Hunnic range that they used to have for years? Or did, did they replace it in the end with all the, the slightly different guys with the, the sheepskin hats and the sheepskin waistcoats and axes and bows and things like that? Maybe that no, would have been a... The Essex Huns are really good. There's a lot of variety. There's like one pack with bow, one pack with... Uh, hand weapons and one pack with javelins hmm. but what Essex do uh, they actually just have a range they call Asiatic hordes don't they actually that's true want to make them completely mixed up you know I think you can go too far with mixing the troops up I think yeah. you can get chaotic but I think 
you know, we are talking what is just Asiatic hordes. So they've got, you know, Slav, medium cavalry, Avar, heavy, extra heavy cavalry, blah, blah, blah. I think I'd probably go Essex and have a mixture of Huns and Asiatic hordes. And they've got Khazars and uh, things like that, haven't they? And things like That's true. Yeah, I think I'm just looking also... Fighting 15s, their gladiator range, they've got an, an Asiatic nomads thing. But for the, the charging cavalry, would you, you know, does this kind of get into Goths and Gepids and Lombards? Would you would you use some of those? Because that's that was some of their opponents as well. Or would they be still these Asiatic types just using their, their weaponry differently? I think they've got different armor. They're wearing scale armor, the helmet's slightly different. You're getting towards uh, I don't know how to put it. So sort of almost quasi-Russian and Polish and things like yeah, that. Yeah, there's an argument to use some uh Russian figures in there. I think yeah. you could get away with that in the later period, in the in the Nike in the later Nike in the eleventh century period, I I'd, I'd look I'd definitely look at Russian ranges for cavalry and things like that. Yeah. Okay. All right. Interesting. Well, let's, One um, thing that might be worth researching is is just whether or not they'd shifted at all to kite shields away from round shields. Good question. I, I think you could probably use both, but I think that's, you know, the Byzantines had shifted and the Bulgars tended to copy the Byzantines a lot. Yeah, that's true. Actually. And then there's some, I think there's some Legio Heroica um, Armenian ranges that, that start getting into kite shields. That maybe um, would fit as well. They're quite nice little figures as well. But yeah, that, that's probably worth doing um, doing a bit of digging around, see when the kite shield kind of moves in, because that suddenly gives you quite a distinctive late period charging thing. But but if it does, that'd be great because I, I could use my um, my Armenians. That'd be fantastic. <laughs> There's some Bulgars. Very happy if they get another outing. Excellent. All right. Um, let's do the Byzantines then. Um, so there's a bit of music. Yeah. So. We talked about the Bulgars a little bit. They're, they're very generic and, and you've got a lot of flexibility about picking the best best figures or the coolest looking ones. Now, the Nikephorians, uh, the contrast to that, is a range that, that all sorts of manufacturers do. It's always been a popular army. There's a lot of troop types that um, are quite distinctive from the Varangians to the Scutatoi and, and the rest of it. So, you know, Dave, I think this is an army that you've you've very much collected and, and put a lot of work in. What what, um, how have you approached it in terms of buying buying and figure manufacturing? Um, it, it was one of the, my first, I mean, I actually built a fairly large, very large army for Fog, the Field of Glory. And so I use Kurasan figures from America. He makes some very, very nice um, actual Nike 4 in Byzantine. The Nike 4 in Byzantines are slightly different because they have um, a padded arm, you know, felted armour over their chain mail to some degree. So I think what you find with a knife for an infantryman, he'd be wearing chain mail, a helmet or not. Sometimes they have a little turban around the helmet, but then they had these um, padded, I've forgotten the words for them, their, their armies, their armor's called Clivanian, because I use that word quite a bit. But they had a padded jersey over the top. A bit so like an Akaton. That's the one, yeah. But um, the, the Kurosan figures are very nice. The only thing is they have spaghetti spears. So I ended up drilling through the bodies to stick. Oh no, okay. Well, I made a lot of effort for them, but and the cavalry are very, very nice from Curacao. Yeah. There. Okay. So, um, so you're saying that the Byzantines are actually notably different at this stage to any of the the earlier, um, yeah. the earlier periods of um, of Byzantines. Then, so I'm just I looking at some of the other companies who who do them. These three distinct periods. There's the early period where you where you're talking about the um, 
Justinian Byzantine and the Marician Byzantine where they'd look fairly Roman-like. Mm. Then you've got a period into the centre, the thematic period, where they're becoming much more uh, Dark Ages, cavalry and becoming influenced by the steppe opponents they're fighting and things like that. And they become a lot more steppe army looking. And then this, I think one of the great appeals of Nicophorian Byzantine is it's a very distinctive army and you're starting to touch towards the medieval. And, you know, it's, it's a great bit of fun because you've got, you need an infantry base, you need those guards, cavalry, you need some other cavalry, and you also need to get some uh, charging Norman cavalry into the army somewhere as well. And of course, you've got the all wonderful Brangian guardsmen, of course. Because the other one who do a lot of Byzantines is always museum, but they have their generic Byzantine range and some of them kind of move into kite shields. To, but are they not quite with that sort of padded armour to, to really properly be um, Nicophorians? I think they're a bit older in terms. Yeah. Forged um, in Battle have got a new Nicophorian range. I've not really seen so much of, but they're, they're quite good as well. Yeah. And Richard, is this one that, that you've collected specifically for? Uh no, actually, it's one of the few I've 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 been tempted, but uh, never never really got into. So I can't really add much to the conversation. <laughs> okay, because I think with my my Nicophorians are very much my generic Byzantines wearing um, with a different hat. But I think about a couple of years ago, I I went because I had so many, you know, those Byzantine cavalry, the the lance bow shield cavalry um, for for earlier. Um, army list where you had you know, multiple units of four there were just so many of them what I did is I took some of them um, sort of trimmed off the shields and stuck on a load of kite shields and actually then did the same with some um, old Essex cataphracts I think they were actually the you know the Essex Seleucid cataphract with um, with that kind of stripe of color down the the back of the, the saddle so what I what I did with those is added some kite shields to them gave a bit of colour to the army, armour. I think they were silver armour and I gave them sort of a blue blue ink wash, which which gave them a kind of a different thing and gave them a load of little religious icons um, as standards because if you, if you go online and search for Byzantine icons, you get gazillions of images. Um, there's even <laughs> obviously a, a big kind of contemporary market for, for modern artwork. So you actually get nice nice resolution images that you can shrink down and print out and use as kind of shields or even as shields or as, as little standards. So I've actually kind of re regraded um, through giving them a more, um, you know, random mix of shields and things like that and more kite shields and, and particularly the cataphracts to, to create some of those different Byzantine units, which has worked quite well you know then it means that they're, they're different figures to um, everybody else's so there's a lot of options but i think it's it's important probably you know that thing the nicophorians are where they start to move towards padded armor so probably uh, stretching it from those um, early byzantines is is perhaps a little bit much um in in terms of design but you know it's a popular army there's a lot of people making um stuff for it and and there's plenty of options
So that's it for this podcast. Don't forget, you can follow up from this by going over to madaxman.com to check out both the ADLG wiki, where you'll find the lists we discussed this week, and also the figure directory and figure gallery, where you'll be able to find loads of pictures and information about the manufacturers and different ranges so that you can compare before you buy. Thank you for listening to our podcast, and we'll see you on madaxman.com for another podcast soon. This means war.